reaches towards you and that is telling you as we sang, all that I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Hallelujah. The very same God is here this morning. Will you turn your Bibles with me this morning for the reading of God's word from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And could someone read that portion from 14 all the way down to chapter 7, verse 1. Amen. Father, this morning, we have come before your word. Lord, your word is holy. Lord, this morning, we ask you to break this bread from heaven. Lord, we pray that the illumination of God will be upon us this morning. May the anointing of the Holy Spirit be upon your servant this morning. Lord, this is your people, this is your word. And Lord, I desire to be your servant to declare the word of God, to be the mouthpiece of God. Hallelujah. And so this morning, bring, Lord, a visitation of God's people into the hearts and the lives of each one of us this morning. Open the word this morning. The door of ministry be opened this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is titled, Pondering on the Promises. Today's message is entitled, Pondering on the Promises. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Paul writes to Corinth, and he's telling them, having therefore these promises. Paul comes to Corinth at the end and the last stop of his second missionary journey. At AD 50, he comes to Corinth, and he comes and stays with a family, Aquila and Priscilla. And as is his normal custom, he goes to the synagogue to speak Christ unto the people. And Corinth is a thriving commercial center in Athens, in Greece. And in this thriving commercial center is where the businesses of people, it is a mixed group of people with Jewish and the common citizens of Greece. And in this mixed population, in this place where there's so much debauchery, it's a depraved city, it's a dissolute city. As Paul describes this city 
to us in 2 Corinthians. He describes the lifestyle of the Corinthians in this manner. They are immoral, fornicators, idolaters, abusers, homosexuals, drunkards, revilers, slanderers. And he says to them, such were some of you. But you are now called. You are now sanctified. You are now justified. And as he's writing to Corinth, he's saying, that was your past. That was what Corinth is like. And he's giving us an understanding of what the lifestyle of Corinth is. Very similar to the lifestyle of what we see in our cities. And in that city of Corinth, he has gone into the, to the, to the, to the synagogue, and in that synagogue, he is debating with the people that come there. There are Jews that come there. There are Grecians that come there. And in that city, he is debating and preaching Christ, and he encounters a very hostile reception. He encounters an opposition which wherever he goes, in every synagogue, he ends up realizing that there's a lot more opposition to what he has to say. But Corinth is different and it has a connection to us because at Corinth, something significant happens that doesn't happen at any other location or place. Corinth becomes the turning point of Christendom. It is the turning point of Paul's ministry because as he debates, as he speaks the word, the hostile reception is so powerful and so uh, strong, he looks to the Jews and he says something in Corinth that you see uh, in Acts 18. He said that I will now go unto the Gentiles. There's a turning point. There's a shifting that happens. Paul now turns to Corinth and he says, I am now going to focus on the Gentiles. And that city of Corinth is a city that has so much idolatry. It is known that there was a temple of, idolatry, uh, of Aphrodite. There were women, thousands, it is said in historical history, that thousands of women were becoming as prostitutes for the men that came to that temple of Aphrodite to, en to engage in immoral activity. And it is in this, in this very depraved setting Paul turns, and as he turns, we realize that he encounters a strong opposition in Corinth, but at the same time, there is a group of people who desires to know more. And we find in Acts 18 that he goes into the home of a man named Justice, and as he stays there in Justice, he begins to expound the word of God. And we find out also that Crispus, a chief ruler in that synagogue, turns to the Lord and a church begins to form in that city. A church begins to form in that city and the Lord makes him to stay there almost a year and a half. And in that year and a half that he's there, he's able to build a church on a foundation. 
And the Lord appears to him to say something that is very strong in Corinth that he doesn't say in any other place. He said to Paul, he said to him, be not afraid. And he says something that he probably says something probably different to us. He says, Paul, keep on speaking. I have many people in this city. And I say that because as I was reading this, I think sometimes the Lord speaks to us something a little differently. In a large setting of people, and sometimes as we go there, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit says to us, don't speak. There are certain things that we ought to say, that we should say, but then there are certain things that we ought not to say. But here Paul is being encouraged and he's saying, look Paul, I want you to speak because I have many people in the city. And after one and a half years of preaching, a church begins to form and we find this, the second letter that is being given to this, uh, to, this, uh, to this church. And you are reading that second letter. But actually, there are three letters that went to Corinth. The first one was lost. We don't know what happened. It never came back into the, 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 uh, the, uh, uh, the word of God. And so Paul is writing now the third letter that you see in this, uh, the, the, the second Corinthians. And as he writes this letter, I just want you to understand how he's writing it. It's so magnificent that he's just not writing because he wants to chastise them. I want you to just read that. Someone can read that out loud. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, I want you to get the mindset of Paul as he's writing this, that he is writing with a, a really heavy heart. Can somebody read it, please? Out of much affliction, anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many. Paul is writing. And let me tell you, the language of Corinthians is strong. The language of Corinthians is, is, is something that is very, very difficult to receive. As a father, he's correcting them. As an apostle, he's correcting them. And the language is very, very hard. But Paul writes to them something that we all should keep in mind. That is, he says, sister, read that portion again. I write to you with what? Much affliction. And, go ahead. Out of much affliction and anguish of heart. And I wrote to you with, not tears, with many tears. The love of Paul and the heart of an apostle is being expressed as he's writing strong words. He is having an embrace to that community, to that fellowship, and he's writing strong words. And this morning, we want to look at one or few of those things that he's written. The text that you, we read this morning, having therefore these promises, that we can break that text down this morning to say, that Paul is writing about three things this morning. And I, I have to hit this and I forget. Uh, three things that the Lord is, uh, that he's saying. One, he's saying, having therefore these promises. Number two, he says, the duty and the responsibility. He says, and let us cleanse ourselves. Number two. 
Number three, he brings the things to the text to the surface. He says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You break that text down. You see that Paul wants you to understand about the promises. Then he says, I want you to know that let us, let us together, let us cleanse ourselves. How? From what? From all filthiness. Not just filthiness. He says, all filthiness and the filthiness he attaches is the filthiness of the flesh filthiness of the spirit and for the perfecting of holiness in the fear of God one of the strongest and the clearest passages of holiness that we read in the New Testament is being given here it's just not just a call to be holy but it's providing the details that says how we ought to be holy. We ought to be holy in our flesh. We ought to be holy in our spirit. And he's also saying why we should be holy. Because we have received these promises. Brothers and sisters, as I was reading this, and it's a lot to say, holiness is a hot potato. Holiness is a hot potato. Holiness is not something everyone likes to talk about. Holiness is something, but holiness is not something that's optional. Holiness is something that's a command. Holiness is, is something that is, in, that is, it is the crown of God. I don't want to go there because my message is not on holiness this morning, but I cannot avoid not to touch it. That we, through the work of the Holy Spirit, all of us today sitting here, we are saved by grace through faith. Everything we receive in Christian life comes through that same channel that's saved by, by grace through faith. It is the same way we receive through grace, by grace through faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. At the point of salvation, all of us in Christ, we have been positioned. We have a positional holiness. We have a positional holiness. But what happens in the process of our life and our sanctification? There is a practical level of holiness. There is a practical level of holiness which is progressive holiness in our life that the Lord works through by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God and the community of saints. That sanctification is something that's ongoing until the end of our life. And I don't want to go there too much, but the, this is, I just want to hit the fact that it is a positional holiness and there is a progressive holiness. And that is that second half. He says, let us cleanse ourselves of the filthiness of the flesh. Yes, positionally we are holy, but practically there is an element of cleansing in our life as we are moving through the, our, our days on this earth that we are responsible for. We live in a world where there is so much unholiness. What has become unholiness is now the norm. Unholiness is become something that is common. It affects you. It affects me. And as all of us raising children in this world, it is something that really heavily dawns on us how to protect, how to put borders, how to put parameters on our children so that their mind doesn't get defiled by the filth or doesn't get contaminated in their body.
as I was reading this, I heard, just for us to understand that the message of holiness is not something that's very, something that just God just casually mentions, that there are 1,066 references to holiness that God mentions in the word of God. I did not count it. I heard it. I will not be surprised. But this morning I want to illustrate here. As God has told us and the word of God has much to say about holiness. But this morning I want us to come back to the point where he begins and he says, having therefore these promises. This morning I want to bring about the promises of God. What is it that he's talking about? What is it that Apostle Paul is referring to when he says, having therefore these promises? To understand that, we have to go above and read what is there and where is the reference coming to. And we find the reference starts somewhere around 14 all the way down to 918. And he gives these precious, beautiful promises. I want to start there in verse 16, as you read these promises, as you read them, you hear these things. There are three times Apostle Paul refers to the Lord, to the Lord Almighty. Thus saith the Lord. At each point of time, I want you to see that it is not Apostle Paul that is saying this. Paul is reaching back. He's reaching all the way back to the Old Testament. He's reaching back to Exodus. And he's bringing the promise that was given to Israel. And he's bringing it into Corinth. That depraved city. That, that sinful city. And he's reaching back to the promise. I just want to go through it quickly so that we can understand. Verse 16. I will dwell in them. The first promise that the Lord gives is... He says, it is promise of God's indwelling. Five glorious promises are given here. Verse 16 says, I will dwell in them. The second promise is of God's presence. Verse in, that, in verse 16, and walk in them. The third promise that God gives that Paul refers to is as, as I will be their God and they shall be my people. As he stops there, he puts a condition right at the in the middle. That condition is now on con in connected to what he has said before in 14. I'm not going there right now. I want to finish the promise, but I want you to understand the promises are all given connecting to the separation of unbelievers. I want to continue my promise. The promise of God's indwelling, the promise of God's presence, the promise that says God's covenant, that I will be their God and they shall be my people. The fourth promise that's there is I will receive you. God, promise of God's acceptance. And the last promise is wonderful. It's promise of God's relationship and adoption that he says I will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and my daughters. Five glorious promises given. Uh, five glorious promises given to Corinth. 
He's giving them these promises and he's connecting back and saying, having therefore these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. I said to you that Apostle Paul didn't just pull this out of thin air. He reaches back all the way back to Exodus. The promise that God gave to Israel, the promise that God gave to his peculiar people, is now being brought to Corinth. And he's, God is telling them, as special as Israel was, that same experience. He said, oh Corinth, as they experienced, as the Jewish community experienced God's indwelling in the tabernacle and in the temple, which distinguished them, us from other nations, he said, you, Corinth, are that special people. But he doesn't stop there. He says something to Corinth that he doesn't say to Israel. I want us to see that in the end of 16 as he comes down. He says, you are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. That promise was not given to Israel. That God dwelt in them. But the message of you are the temple of God was something different that the New Testament believer received. Oh, hallelujah. How beautiful that God gives to something very special. But I want you to know something. That Corinth is not hearing this for the first time. Corinth, brother, Corinth, tells them, you are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. That he tells them in verse 14, hey look, he makes them understand something that what was not given to Israel is now given to you. That you are special because the almighty God dwells in you. And he says, you are the temple of God. But he doesn't stop there either. He goes forward. He says one other thing. Is this on, brother? He says to them, he says, God says to them that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Distinction, it looks very similar, but it's not the same. He writes to Corinth and he says, you, Corinth, are the temple of God. Then he comes to chapter 6 and he writes, your body body is the temple of God. This morning as we are seated here, we have received God's wonderful, beautiful promise this morning. And we're only going to hit on that one promise today. The promise that says of God's indwelling. That says you are the temple of God. Your body is the temple of God. And it is putting this reference and this framework that the apostle begins to write to them and help them to understand that because you are the temple of God, what, what is it that you are yoked with unbelievers? You cannot be yoked with unbelievers. Your, 
yoking that you are the presence of God dwells within you. And so righteousness has no fellowship with unrighteousness. Light has no fellowship with darkness. Uh, uh, no, there is no unity with Christ and Belial. There's nothing common between the believer and the unbeliever. There is nothing common with God or the temple of God and idols. I want to just help us to understand something. By the grace of God, every, by the Protestant Reformation that has come, we understand the distinction of us being the temple. That therefore, this place, this place as beautiful and as separated it is for God's service, it does not contain the presence of God when we leave. Right? When we gather, the presence of God is here. But there is no holy presence here when we leave. Rather, it is separated for God, yes, but that is not how this is. This is a holy presence that's dwelling 24-7. 24-7, this holy presence is there. And he tells them one other thing. Temple of God is not one to have idols. In our church, there's no picture of crucifixion, the cross. There's no picture or statue of Mary, statue of Christ, because there is no power behind these things. Because none of those statues will cause you to be holy. All of those statues cannot bring you to the perfection of holiness. Rather, they will only bring you deeper into bondage. And so Paul says, as, be as beautiful, as wonderful, and as a great person that Mary was, as wonderful as the, as, the, as, the, as the beautiful pictures drawn of Christ and the statues of Christ may remind us of the things that he has done. Worship is not meant to have idols in God's temple. Praise God. I want to continue this here. That, that these are not items of worship. But he says to them, Know ye not that you are the temple. Know ye not that your body is the temple. As the tabernacle of old had that presence. He says, now your body carries that presence. That holiness of God is within your body. Or is within your, within your body. It dwells within us. Several years ago, I think it was Julian uh, I think so. I, we all understand about that God is holy, right? The essential nature and the attribute of God is that he is holy. We all believe that God is holy. While that is correct, brothers and sisters, there's a grave omission when we say that God is holy. You know what that is? The Bible ascribes God not just holy. God is holy. 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 I want us to sink that in. God, we ascribe holiness to God. God is holy, holy, holy. As I say that, I, I feel so awesomed by that, those words. Because our finite mind cannot begin to understand 
what that means because two powerful men of god were captured into heaven one in the old testament one in the new testament isaiah saw the saw was captured in and he saw the creatures that said holy 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 john was carried away in the vision and as he's carried away he sees the creatures that utter holy 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 two men who witnessed the extraordinary visit into heaven can that what remains in their mind is the creatures saying holy 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 holiness of god is the perfection of all his other attributes the holiness of god is one that is he is perfect in his omniscience he is perfect in his omnipresence he is perfect in his omnipotence holiness as one man of god said is the crown of god and as much as we may find it difficult to talk about it to understand it to speak about it we cannot get around it that god is holy 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 this morning let's wait a minute let's just close our eyes for one second can we absorb that understanding this morning oh lord you are holy 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 rubala manara shamdalaradara duramana manada sakala adigadara lord we bow down to your holiness lord we confess we don't know what it all means sometimes lord this morning open our eyes to understand that as we get closer to god we understand he is holy 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 thank you church of corinth is being reminded of the promise of god's indwelling that you are the temple of god you are the temple of god and he notice what he says not only are you the temple of god but the spirit of god dwells in you hallelujah not only that as paul describes in another place he he describes about god christ he says it is the fact that what has been hid from ages and generations is now made manifest to the saints the riches of the glory of christ among the gentiles that christ in you the hope of glory as paul is bringing this together brothers i want you to understand this morning to be conscious of that triune god the promise of his indwelling is in our hearts as we are conscious of that promise the promise of god's indwelling that god is living in my heart we tend then begin to understand that our walk is something of a higher grade our living is something of a higher grade and so he says therefore because of these promises i only talked about one but i we understand that we must cleanse ourselves and causing us to understand that because god is in us because that triune god is in us i ought to be holy even as he is holy hallelujah this morning can you envision that understand the triune god inside you the 
promise of God's indwelling. You are the temple of God. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. You know, in a garage, we all have things of storage. Sometimes, every, every, every year, my wife tells me to clean out the garage because we put a lot of things into that garage. And you cannot use it for what it's meant to be. And we put on our homes things, everything that comes, all often comes into that garage. And sometimes we're so ashamed even to open that garage door so that we don't want anybody to see what's in that garage. Our life sometimes, our minds sometimes, there is so much clutter. There is so many things that as we pass through this journey of life, there is so much clutter that accumulates. There is so much unwanted things that are spoken. Unwanted emotions that come out. Unwanted bitterness. Unwanted words that come out. Ungodly thoughts and attitudes that, that enter. But this morning, the Lord wants us to cleanse ourselves. As we have received this promise, God wants to dwell in that holy place. Don't you know your body is that temple? Brothers and sisters, sometimes I feel God is living in a messy garage. <laughs> but God wants to dwell. Perhaps we need to take some time to empty out this garage. That old patterns, that old thoughts, the old attitudes, God wants us to refresh us with the beauty and the wonder of God's word and then make it clean so that the world can see. We can open the doors and such that the world may see who Christ in us, that hope of glory. I close with one thing. This, after, this, this weekend, I, I was so led as I read a, poem, a, a, a hymn written by Charles Gabriel, and I close with this. He has written many beautiful songs, including the one that we all sing, How Marvelous. He wrote this as a song, and I pray that you will, it will bless you. More like the master I would ever be. More of his meekness, more humility. More zeal to labor, more courage to be true more consecration for work he bids me to do. More like the master is my daily prayer. More strength to carry cross that I must bear. More earnest effort to bring his kingdom in. More of his spirit, the wanderer to win. And his chorus, take thou my heart, I would be in thine alone. Take thou my heart, make it all thine own. Purge me from my sin, O Lord, I now implore. Wash me, keep me forevermore. The promise of God's indwelling. I will dwell with them. That promise that says, you are the temple of God. That, that the spirit of God dwells in you. This morning I pray that the Holy Spirit will have those words etched in our mind spirits.